another world, another time in the age of wonder. You are listening to The Gathering Songs, The Dark Crystal Discussions. The story runs deeper than you know, and you are part of it. And what are those funny marks? This is all writing. What's writing? Words that stay. When single shines the triple sun. Of your sunder and undone shall behold the two made one. And here's your host, Philip Mitchell. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Gathering Songs. I'm your host, Philip Mitchell, and just want to say thank you so much for joining. So on this episode, we are discussing about the Dark Crystal Creation Myths Volume 3, Part 1. And this is all about the the graphic novel series. For those of you who are new, what what Creation Myths is all about. This is all about the the graphic novel series that came out years ago um, with Arkea and um, and it was sort of a prequel story that took place uh, years before the events of the film The Dark Crystal. And this discussion was originally released on March the 14th, 2016, and it was originally released as episode 20 of Trial by Stone. However, th- what we're doing is we're re-releasing these old episodes to rebrand them as The Gathering Songs, and just to, to get those episodes going, and I really hope you enjoy, um, you know, listening to this episode, um, whether you've heard it before, or if you're new to the whole uh, Dark Crystal podcast, I just want to say thanks, and yeah, just hope you enjoy it as we continue to produce more uh, new content down the track with The Gathering Songs. So without further ado, here's our discussion on Creation Myths, Volume 3. Part one. Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone, and this is episode 20 of the podcast for March 2016. This month we are going to continue discussing about the Dark Crystal Creation Myths trilogy with the first part of Volume 3. For those new to the program, the Dark Crystal Creation Myths is essentially a prequel to the film The Dark Crystal and sort of spans over the thousand years of stories uh, that, that occurred. So um, if you haven't checked them out, it's, it's definitely worth checking them out. And um, we've done previous discussions of the Creation Myths with Volumes 1 and 2. And yeah, we're up to Volume 3, which is awesome. And I think, you know, even though we've been discussing about the books at length, I feel like that there's still a lot more to discuss about them uh, in the future. So now let's go to the Podling Village and chat about the Dark Crystal Creation Myths Volume Three. To introduce the guests, I just want to say, um, so we got um, Bland. So Bland, thanks for being coming back on the show. Oh, thanks for having me back. And of course, we've got Nancy. Nancy, welcome to the show. Hello, nice to see you again. And of course, we've got Peter. So Peter, I just want to say thanks for returning. Thanks for having me, Phil. Yeah, so we're going to keep continuing the uh discussion on on volume three and um i think this was well it was a very long wait for um to get <laughs> volume three but we we got it eventually and um yeah it's it's i guess it's one of those things that i you know still want to i'm really curious about you know what the, the delays were and um that sort of thing um which is really interesting but it's good that we finally got the whole trilogy of stories which is great do you think matthew might know yeah, um, I'm not too sure, like, because cause I, I actually did listen to um 
the interview, um, I think episode 14 of the podcast, um, for any listeners, um, I did an interview with Matthew, Matthew Dow Smith, who, um, who wrote the third volume. And, um, I, I do recall him saying that it did took him a little bit longer to, to write it. Cause I remember, I think he was sort of joking about, you know, how, you know, there were people like us that were still waiting for this book to come and, um, didn't realize it or not, not, not didn't realize, but you know, about just how there's, you know, a fan base, you know, uh, of us, you know, still anticipating this, um, for volume three to, to come out. Yeah. No, no. And I just, I'm just glad that, yeah, they, you know, did come out and, um, sort of got the conclusion of some of the story elements, but at the same time with, uh, with volume three, to me, I think I probably said this in the interview that even though everything we sort of read about this creation myths is really almost like the tip of the iceberg. Um, as Ma- Matthew Dow Smith, he mentioned about that. There's such like a, there's such a rich um, mythology, I guess, with the dark crystal. And you could tell stories of sort of anything within the world because, you know, there's such a big, you know, in that three year, 3000, well, you know, we, I'd say Thry would have to be at least probably 5,000 years, maybe even longer than that um, of stories that, you could just go into, which is, you know, really cool. Well, and to the listeners, um, that episode, if they haven't already listened to that, it's, it's really good and really insightful. And I really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks, Blaine. Yeah. Yeah. Greatly appreciate it. Yeah. Cause it was one of those episodes where it's like, um, I, like I was very, um, yeah, fortunate from IKEA entertainment. Um, I was able to, yeah, sort of get a, get a copy of the, of the book, um, sort of in advance before interviewing, um, Matthew, because I really wanted to chat to him, you know, about what happens in the story besides just talking to him, you know, about generalizing, you know, the story without, you know, spoiling things. But I wanted to get more of an insight within the story from Matt. And um, so, yeah, for those listeners that, you know, um, that haven't read Creation Myths, um, you know, check them all out and then listen to episode 14 and then listen to, yeah, the, you know, what we're going to do right now, the roundtable discussion on, um, volume three. So, yeah. So I guess, you know, it, it starts off with the, uh, the prologue. Um, and, I, and one thing I just, I just noted just, uh, sort of, I don't know, it's a bit of, I don't know whether it's trivia, but this is the first time that, um, there's actually like a prologue, um, in the creation myths, whereas volumes one and two sort of, I mean, they do have prologues, but they class them as, as chapters. So I thought that was kind of, I don't know, for me, I just, as an observant kind of fan, I'm like, oh, they, you know, that's interesting. They called it a prologue instead of a chapter. But of course, as, as a prologue, it kind of makes sense because, you know, it's a, the beginning sort of here are the things to come and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and and just looking at the first page, I just love the um, the visuals of um, the storyteller and, and the fizz gig, you know, on top of this really tall rock and all that. Yeah, yeah. It looks to me like from that, other panel there that he's kind of like running down and grabbing a stick and then coming back up. And that's what the impression yeah. that I got, like he's getting wood for the fire each time to kind of keep it going for the storyteller. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. When he, when he states about how, um, that his, that the storyteller story and, and Thra's story has many, uh, beginnings and, and many endings. Um, so like that almost open opens up, I guess, potential, you know, whether, whether we've, you know, been told from him is the true beginning or whether there's another beginning that we just, 
don't know. But um, yeah, I just I just want to know yeah your thoughts on on that aspect. Um, well, it's like it's the beginning of this particular tale, because he talks about it being you know some endings are the beginning of another beginning and things like that. It's like um, to me it seems like he's sort of talking about also like the movie. You know, this is the end of his part, but then the part of Agra and the part of the other Gelflings will come up later. That sort of thing, you know. Because this is, this is his tale, and his tale is kind of ending, but that doesn't mean that it's the end of everything. That's the impression I got. And so, um, I guess the, the other thing is, um, it, it really did um, good, you know, sort of recapping sort of the events of the, um, the first two volumes, which I feel, I mean, they sort of probably had to do that just because it's been a, such a long time since um you know between the launch between the releases of volume two and three which and i just thought that that sort of whole recapping thing was sort of you know it worked out um well definitely i think i think that was definitely one of the reasons why this part was particularly written because it was a long time between the releases and they wanted to recap and get you back to where you you know catch you up on the events that happened Absolutely, yeah, and I think even for um, you know, for new readers, you know, they somehow come across volume three and are like, oh, you know, grab that, and then they sort of at least, I mean, you know, they'll probably read the recap and, you know, might be like, oh, okay, I might actually go and read volumes one and two or try and track track down um, uh, one and two um, to sort of get the full story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're kind of hard to get now, so they track them are. down now while you can. <laughs> Vol- volume 2 is, for some reason, Volume 2 is the one that's very hard to get a hold of, I've yeah. noticed. I really wanted a physical physical copy. They're like 50 to $70 because they're out of print mm-hmm. now. Even the PDF is $15. Well, the paperback so anyone come out who's soon. listening... If you, if you, I hope so. I hope that they're going to make the paperback soon. Because um, I, I believe the first volume came out as as a paperback. Um, I'm actually curious if they ever did a um. It actually it came out after the hardcover. I actually yeah, have the, the paperback of the first one. Yeah, it came out like, it didn't come out until February of last year. I think the paperback version. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I actually got mine as part of a humble bundle for Jim Henson Comics, so I was very lucky. Yeah, yeah, me, me too. Actually, yeah, like, um, um, yeah, ended up getting yeah the the trade yeah the humble bundle. Um, we had a lot of um Jim Henson um comics, and um the creation. Did it was... have like the new Muppet shows, the new Muppet show comics that they did a couple years ago, and then there were all the Farscape comics. Didn't have any of those. Uh, not on top of my head. I can't. Yeah. No, it. Wish it I hadn't missed out on that. Rock, other things. Hmm. Yeah, I missed out on the humble bundle. That's too bad because that sounds awesome. Yeah. Um. It's mm. a, yeah, 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 and and it also included um, uh, the PDF actually of the um the novelization, um, of the Dark Crystal as well. So um, which is kind of handy. Yeah. Um, oh nice <laughs> oh wow yeah yeah because because I, I remember they were talking about doing like a, a digital launch you know a digital release of the um novelization but um those are getting hard to get to the novelization mm-hmm. um and as well as like the labyrinth reprint um they I had i known a... this i would have gotten the box set but the box set apparently is still sort of available but it's getting pricey yeah I know it's like a part of me is kind of tempted to um to even sort of 
It's like, you know, collecting a couple of those creation moves. Well, the, the box set has the um, Brian Froud drawing of Skeksil on the side, on the box. And that's why I want the box set. Oh, <laughs> and I had yeah. already bought the novel. And I thought, man, if I'd known that, I would have just bought all three in one to get the box. Man, <laughs> my hand is so far from the pulse of this community. <laughs> I didn't know about any of this stuff. I wish I had. That's pretty awesome. I'd love to have that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I managed to snag a PDF of the second book, so at least I have it. But I really love physical copies. I really, when they come out with the paperback, I'll probably rebuy it because I like to have a physical copy. I'm weird that way. Uh, one place you can look for that is uh, abebooks.com. Abebooks. <clears throat> I'm going to write yeah, that like down. Abe's. Com. They're a book dealer uh, here in Victoria, but they ship worldwide. They're one of the best used book dealers on the internet. Yeah, there's there certainly are. Because I, I, I think I did recall actually purchasing. Um, I, I, I remember purchasing one of the books from them. Um, I think it might have been the uh, the making of the Dark Crystal. Um, I think I managed to got it from the A Books. Yeah, yeah, which was like you know, it wasn't like you know brand new condition but it was like in a, it was a, it was a good you know in a really like in a good condition anyway so there's no brand new conditions of that book yeah I know, yeah <laughs> yeah um, thanks for that i appreciate it no problem just keep an eye it's out for it it's, it's nice having a hard copy it really is yeah definitely yeah yeah so um yeah so from there you know the storyteller's like you know his his time is at an end but and then sort of you know and so we go into um, chapter one. That's sort of, well, some yeah, of yeah, go ahead, yeah. Some of the things that um, stuck out to me in this prologue, he says that the Erskeks were strangers from beyond the farthest star, which means if you look at the orrery, it's probably the, one of the farthest planets out on it. And if you reflect back on volume one, Brana, when he gets mad, he goes to the orrery and he knocks one of the planets off. And I always thought, well, I wonder if that's Thra. But... It could also it could be a representation of him knocking the Erskek planet off, and it being the farthest one out, it was the one that he could actually reach. That's huh. interesting. That's a cool observation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of cool. Yeah, because I I know there was that speculation whether they're from our from the Thras universe or through a different dimension and all that kind of stuff. But um, um, but the one thing I always point they always think back to is at the end of the dark crystal when the Oskik says, you know, we all, we all are a part of each other. Um, uh, that I guess from that sort of, I guess, evidence that, that they are sort of, they belong in the same universe. Um, in that respect. Right. It makes you wonder like, is the Ori, is it a solar system or is it a galaxy? It, might be a galaxy. That's a good observation I would think too. It's a galaxy, but then because the three suns are those three suns yeah. of three different solar systems, and but they I, but you can still mm. see them from Thra, and they still seems, their the energy is still focused on Thra. It seems they yeah. would have to be from the same solar system, though. Yeah, I was just I, I just randomly just thought, oh, it's look it up in the dictionary for. Well, you know what what they describe mm -hmm. it, and, and it describes it as a clockwork model of the solar system, or yeah. of just the sun, Earth, and Moon. Well, there are other little planetoids and things in it, because you can see that in the movie. But 
at the same it's time, also, yeah, it an armory with a universe would be oh, extremely kind of crazy to build, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't all be connected to that one central mechanism either. At the very least, it has to be the galaxy. I'd say though that it has to be the solar system because of the three moons, but Aldra had been. Um, contemplating all of this and maybe even though it's not shown in the actual um observatory orrery thing that maybe um she maybe she could see beyond that and maybe that's how ronup knows about um them being from the far farthest one it's it's so cool because it's so cool to wrap my mind around this that there's so many stories that could be told because they said that there were many crystals and many different worlds. Right, right. And that's like I was kind wondering, of exciting. Hmm? Something that I had thought about was that Agra is born of Thra. She was born hmm. to be their kind of its eye to see the world. And I'm wondering, like, Ronup is from this meteor that traveled to Thra. I wonder mm -hmm. if the, if, if he is actually, that meteor is actually from the Erskek planet and it sent out its own beacon because it could sense that, you know, that something was going to happen on this central focused planet. Yeah. Or maybe, um, or maybe Ronop is sort of like the observer for the, for the Erskek planet. For the yeah. Erskeks. Almost like a scout, you know. I can't remember exactly what they quoted, but I remember the Erskeks acted like they knew something about um, Ronup's nature, I think, in the first book. Yeah, yeah. So it may, it, I've always wondered that, too. That's true. If maybe he was part of, part of their planet, like, uh, you know, something... The, like, like how would you they said, have known that? Like I never maybe they sent yeah. sent uh, that out as a probe, almost, or something of that nature. Yeah. And Augur gave him life by infusing part of Thra with him. So it's like, it seems like to me he might even have a connection to them because of in this book he talks about the darkness he sees within one of them, exactly. and it's something that yep. Ronip seems to be the only one who can see it. And that could be because he is from their world. That's what I was thinking. That's a very nice connection, yeah. That's really... Yeah, it's just an amalgamation of, you know, Thra and Erskek. Um Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. And especially, I think, um, when you mentioned, I think, in Volume 1, how, yeah, you know, he's able to see the darkness. And I always thought it, you know, because he had both eyes, yeah. You know, when you mentioned about the X-ray, kind of, yeah, with the eyes, yeah, and Maybe yeah, that's so, because um, he has a Thra yeah. eye and a, and a whatever the Erskek planet eye is. <laughs> Yeah, they even like look one different. eye is still meteor. Yeah, and one of them has that kind of blue, whitish tinge mm. to it too. Yeah, which seems to be a color reflected in the crystal castle, or at least I think so. It depends on what section you're looking at, though. In the beginning, the crystal castle did look kind of bluish white, but it gets a little darker throughout the books. But um. I just thought that might be uh, where his connection to them came from. They acted like they had something to say to him about his nature, but they withheld it. Which I thought was kind of not very nice of them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, I, I remember, I think I did ask, um, yeah, Matt about um, whether they were going to incorporate sort of, you know, knowing about Ronup's, you know, father. 
you know, of his parent, his true parentage, I guess, so to speak. And I think there was something that they were, I think they were going to potentially, you know, put into volume three, but, but they didn't in the end. I think because they want to focus, I guess, on, on everything else, I guess, with the date, you know, of everything that's happening with Thra itself, um, that, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I hope that, you know, I mean, it'd be awesome if they, if, if we get future stories um, that incorporate Ronib, you know, whether, you know, and it can happen because really, I mean, we only get really a taste of, of the things that have happened to Ronib in, in, you know, in the Crescent Mist, but there could be so much more that they can really... Um... I kind of wish that they had. I mean, I know why they probably didn't. They were focusing more on the story of Thra and the changes for the Gelflings and thing like, things like that, but... It would have been an interesting twist, but that's one of the great things about this is there's potential for other stories. Oh, and yeah. I think that's kind of what that prologue at the beginning was saying was, you know, this is just one story kind of is the impression I got. Well, the storyteller so, also says, um, I won't survive to witness the true conclusion of Thra's long story. Mm-hmm. I can give my own tale an ending of sorts is what he said. Yeah. And a part of me was kind of like, you know, I sort of thought, I, I, I kind of do hope that, you know, if they did do a Dark Crystal sequel, then all of a sudden, you know, he comes back. I mean, they may not, you know, you know, I mean, based on what we read from the ending, it seems, you know, a bit unlikely, but I kind of like that hope that whether, you know, either he witnesses, you know, the crystal being restored you know during the events of the dark crystal and right like maybe when he dies he's reabsorbed into the planet like Agra does every nine years and by doing that he's mm. gone until the crystal is restored and then when it's restored he's reborn that's a cool idea that would be that would be pretty nice i like to think that even though he kept acting like it was his final hours that maybe he didn't necessarily just die then. I mean, he seemed old and withered, but that doesn't mean necessarily that he was going to die that day. I, I like to think he wasn't, because even though it's hinted at that he could die... Well, we basically just said moment, that the storyteller is Ronup, so... <laughs> yeah, okay. We, yeah, we, yeah. We, yeah. No, no, we, no, 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 Get that out of the bag, Storyteller is Ronup. I was wrong. I thought it was Geyer, but it's Ronip. Um Yeah, because when I read it today, I thought, didn't Nancy spoil that before? Like, I thought... <laughs> no, I, I never thought well, it was Ronip. I thought it was Geyer. Right, and and that's when the in the Facebook messenger, I was like, because there was that one moment, and then I thought, didn't she say it was somebody yeah. else earlier? <laughs> I, I did not have this book. I was just speculating. I didn't know. <laughs> oh. Well, your, your response kind of seemed like it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was trying to hold back as much as I could, you know. You oh, know. my gosh. This, <laughs> the identity. Me good. It was wrong. Well, who all, who all <laughs> but, had read Volume 3 while we were recording Volume 2? Um, I actually just started reading Volume 3 probably oh, uh, okay. a couple of days ago, yeah, actually. Yeah, you read it last <laughs> but I read it uh, just after we finished. I managed to have a copy sent to me on sale no less yeah because i went on and on at the end about the world of the dark crystal and how the book of augur is this translation and it could it can't be taken as fact and then the storyteller is there because that's his version and it still leaves the story open because it's not true but 
if this is Ronup's story, then it needs it, then it kind of the Book of Agra's translation is not to be yeah, taken as a spin on it. It's this fact. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. I, despite the fact Ronup is a trickster and everything, I think that since it's from his point of view, I mean, it's probably mostly true. At least well, as far as thing, he knows. Well, something else that I thought about was he he gets damaged at the end. Like, he gets mm-hmm. injured in the side of his face, and he actually loses an eye like Agra. And I'm wondering if that maybe caused a little bit of brain damage, and maybe he doesn't really remember everything the way it was. Uh, but that's I a stretch. Think, I think he remembers better than Agra does. Yeah. Um, there's yeah. something that I was going to mention earlier. When um, he's talking to Agra, um, and she says, um, who are you then? Oh, of course, you're Ronup, my son Ronup. It's like she's almost forgotten about him. I think yeah, her that's... memories are shattered because of the yes. shattering of the crystal. Exactly. I, mean, I think that it's... she's so tied to the planet that when the crystal shattered, her memories are shattered, and she's slowly kind of losing it just a um, little at a time. Hmm? You need to listen to vol- or episode 14. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, Matt, Matthew, no, no, it, Matthew totally touches in on that, and he says, like, mm-hmm. that's the, exactly what happens. Like, Augur forgets about him yeah. because of the shattering of the crystal, because she's connected yeah. to the planet. And it's, yeah, it's sort of like, um, in a way that it almost, um, like, sort of tra- a bit of, tra- you know, traumatized her, you know, just really changed her. And I guess it makes even more sense of, you know, why she you know olga is the way that she is during you know in the, the film the dark crystal um yeah so it was it was a bit of a good um connective tissue it's i guess really, it's sad it's almost like a metaphor for alzheimer's you know forgetting who you are forgetting who your family is you know for for a minute there she it seemed like she literally forgot who Rana was and when he reminded her she's like oh uh yeah you're my son of course you know <laughs> Think of the moment of clarity she would have had after the crystal was restored and all those memories came rushing back into her. She's kind of a tragic character. That would be an interesting point of view, too, from things from her point of view. You know, this would also mean that the book of Agra manuscript was written by her before the cracking of or before the restoration of the crystal, but. After the after she had forgotten Rana, because yeah, I mean, we see yeah, you know, from the story, I mean, you know, we see that the the creatures, uh, you know, yeah, you know, attacking the <laughs> the podlings, um, and all that. Just a yeah, hint of darkness, a sort of ensues with Fra. But yeah, I mean, yeah, with um, Olga and Rana, yeah, like you know, we see them, um, yeah, still trying to find pieces of the shard. And it says in the prologue, it says, no one knows how long Ronup and Agra wandered through those caves. Mm-hmm. No, no. And we don't, yeah, we don't, yeah. We, something I don't know, like whether it's like, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how long they were there. Like whether it's like they were there for a couple of years or 10 years. We do know though that his uh, podling friend Kotha was still alive. Yes, right, right. Yeah. So it couldn't have been a v- well, it had to have been a long time because Kotha looked like he had aged. But at the same time, since Kotha was still alive, it leads me to believe it wasn't as long as it seemed, maybe. 
Because when they said that, I was sitting here wondering, what is this, like 10 years or like 100 years? And then when I heard that Kotha was still alive, I was like, oh, well, it couldn't have been 100 years, I don't think, unless the Podlings have been a very, very long lifespan, which I guess is possible. Yeah, because yeah, cause the last time we saw Kotha in Volume 2, um, um, he, his, his mother died and, um, and he sort of yeah, took over the responsibility of being the, the tribe leader of the Podlings um but yeah yeah it would be interesting to see yeah knowing exactly how many years it's been yeah whether it's yeah well it's also it's been long enough for the skeksis to learn the gelfling language True. as well as the uru to learn some kind of language because mm-hmm. in volume two they're just grunts and moans and chants well they've they've learned how to speak a language but the um Urskex knew language and were able to communicate before that or were they just communicating telepathically though i don't know Ooh. i hadn't really thought about I, that i think that kind of thought that yeah um in that you have the skexies who are so divisive among themselves that they you know don't understand one another whereas the uru probably understood one another instinctively and had to learn to communicate with other creatures so i think that's a very interesting observation yeah definitely yeah yeah they've also developed um the skeksis have also developed like a a sense of a of a hierarchy is that the word i'm looking for um yeah they they just now have established that there is an emperor it's not a king it's an emperor mm-hmm. and you also have skekvar who is a higher rank than like skeksok and some other Skeksis. Like, he's able to give mm-hmm. orders. So they've already dis- established yeah. this as well. So that, that probably took some time. I think they have a very might-makes-right mentality, too. Because I was thinking about the fact, I wonder how many it took of them killing each other before they finally decided that um, there weren't enough of them and they needed to come up with something like a trial by stone or trial by challenge or something like that in order to um, resolve their conflicts, because he kills one of them in this one <laughs> for just speaking up and, you know, suggesting that maybe they didn't need an emperor. <laughs> oh, did he actually kill him? I got that impression. Or did he just hit him? Sh- I don't know, but the way well, his shadow falls the across yeah. the body, I thought he killed him. And there are only ten left in the movie. And there were oh, 18 Oh, yeah, he does look dead. Yeah, in, the, in that picture, yeah. I thought that it was very, <laughs> I thought it was very suggestive that he might be dead. <laughs> wow. I, yeah, he totally looks dead there. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I went with dead. But we didn't, so. get, the, uh, we didn't get the mystic um, balance shot. Yeah, that was my note on the chapter. Like, yeah. they should have shown the mystic as well. If, if he's like dead, I wish they kind box. of had. I wasn't sure because I thought the same thing. I was like, okay, so a mystic just, you know, up and died somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and we know I the mystics aren't think... killing each other. No. So they, when one just drops dead. It's like... I think that one might have died, even though they didn't show the opposite shot. Yeah, I think so too. Mm-hmm. So either way, it's like, I think they I think they came up with these different types of trials so that they wouldn't end up just kill, outright killing each other. 
you know, because their nature is so violent. Yeah. I mean, it's established in the world of the Dark Crystal that Skexo was always the emperor from the, when they, when they established, he was always the emperor. So we know that the Hoxkika stone was not used for the, the rank of emperor until the movie, but they yeah. did use it for all their other disputes. Mm-hmm. There are lots of dents in it in the movie too. Yeah. Which makes you think they've settled a lot of disputes with it in the past. Sorry for interrupting the chat, but after the Skype conversation that I had for the show, um, Bland did actually check up online on the fate of Skekshot, and um, we actually found out that he lived because, of course, he actually is in the Dark Crystal, so, um, in the film, so just thought we'd let you know about that. Um, and yeah, well, let's, let's continue back to discussing the Dark Crystal Creation Myths, Volume it, 3. It makes, it actually just makes me think if, um, with the, the Trial by Stone, um, whether the stone was much bigger, much bigger stone, and, you know, they were able to, you know, it got to that size to where, you know, to where it was in the film, or whether it's always been that size, and, and that no one's not been able to, to cut the stone, um, to settle their disputes. <laughs> They're like, how how much can you wither it down over a thousand years? Like how many disputes? Because yeah. yeah. you know they had a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then it breaks in half at the at, in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I that's. If, yeah, yeah. I wondered if it was the original or if there was you no, know, because if there were already hack marks in it so deep, did that mean that the last trial by stone was undecided, like? Or, you know, until they go until they're actually exhausted, you know, because they actually in this one destroyed mm. the stone. So is that it? I, yeah. I think it's more? just whoever gives up. Yeah. Yeah. I got the impression from the reaction of the Chamberlain that that it was not heard of for a big chunk of the stone to just fall off like that. Because he just throws down his weapon and just has this look of shock on his face like, did that really just happen? You know. Well, you you can't top that, and well, it almost seems yeah. like he, like one of them will hit it in the film, and they'll and they'll be like, "Yes, that was a good one. He can't beat that," and so like the next person has to hit it and damage it just as much, and if it's decided that he didn't, then he loses. That's what I get the impression of too, and keep in mind they're very old in that movie, so. Doing something that physical would probably take quite a bit out of them, you know. Very it obvious, probably, yeah, yeah Very probably obvious would be. Until, is the strongest. Yeah. yeah, until they just got too exhausted to do it. Yeah, and just, uh, just another thing I just sort of thought of, you know, with with Skekong, like, um, basically the Garfum haven't been introduced, um, at the time of the um creation myths, um, since you know the monsters are the miners and um yeah so it's just something that i just thought yeah um be interesting to see you know later on down the track when the gotham sort of get introduced you know first introduced to thrar and well i think they kind of make it out to where you think that it is the gotham yeah and when i i thought it was the gotham <laughs> well i actually knew what it was and not because not because i was spoiled of it but because i know the image of the miner 
um, from back years ago, I had it on my website and had actually asked Brian Froud about it. And he had mentioned that it was something that was cut out and that they eventually used that concept to develop Fraggle Rock. So I knew it was a, yeah, I knew it was a minor, but I also thought that's a lot bigger than I thought they were going to (laughs) be. Yeah. Massive. Like, yeah. Compared, you know, the size of the puddling to the, to the minor. Yeah. It's big beast. Well, and to go back to, to go back to Matthew's discussion in 14, he actually mentions that he had developed an underground race before he even knew about the miners. So he probably already had him con, con the concept of them being large and mistaking them as the Gartham early on. And then the Henson company was like, Hey, the miners, is, yeah. let's do it. Yeah, exactly. Totally makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Cause I never knew about the miners, but when I saw the hulking shadowy form in the first time they're introduced, I was sitting here looking at it going, maybe it's like the Gartham, maybe it's like a primitive form of them because it didn't look exactly like the Gartham. But they left enough to the imagination to make you wonder, you know? Yeah, yeah and I just love, yeah, that they introduced some of the miners. I know Matt, I think he did mention that he, he did have a name for them, but he kind of scrapped it because it's like, I don't know if, if the name that he came up with would um, be, be worthy um, <laughs> to the, I don't know, to, to the whole, you know. To like the Henson Nest. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. Well, he, he couldn't remember <laughs> what it was either, but I'd be really interested to know what that was. Oh, yeah, me too, yeah. I'll, I'll have to, mm-hmm. um, I have to yeah, ask um, Matthew <laughs> about that. And um, yeah. If you do talk to him, see if he knows why Volume 3 was delayed for so long because not only was it delayed but then at the release it was delayed again yeah i think i think towards the end i think it was something to do with it was something to do with customs or something like the the, the delivery got yeah held up in customs or something like that and th- yeah because didn't it show up in australia like before it <laughs> yeah it did surprisingly yeah because like you found it i, in I a did and i wasn't something. i wasn't even like you know i because i went there just to pick up some comics and i'm like well, I might as well ask him if they just happen to have volume three. I, I doubt they would, but you know, I called on and said, Do you have volume three? I'm like, Yeah, we got it. I'm like, Okay, <laughs> I'll come, I'll come grab it. <laughs> um, and I think that was, yeah, yeah, nice. but no, no, you know, but yeah, no, they're expensive books, but you know, that definitely a worthy addition to um, to the Dark Crystal, you know, mythology. Um, which I mean, that's another thing, like, I'm probably need to get onto the to tarcrystal.com whether they're gonna um update um articles about yeah you know to incorporate elements of um story elements from volume three so well they also quote a lot of stuff from the world of the dark crystal which contradicts stuff in creation myths yeah and now that we know that the storyteller was wrong yes yeah. we have to kind of take his word yeah for it mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. um so yes so should we go into chapter one? <laughs> I know we've been a bit all over the place. Probably. Well, uh, we've we've hit on some we, points yeah. in various chapters. Yeah, we we, yeah. we have. Yeah, and I, and I think like um, like the story itself. Um, uh, I guess I guess with the, with with uh, volume three is that um, it, it was more of a linear sort of straightforward sort sort of storytelling um, compared to volume one and two so i think um volume three was you know was a nice quick and easy kind of read through um yeah just compared to the first two since it went so it went back and forth between you know ronip and augra and then to um gear the gulfling 
Um, which, I mean, I, I enjoyed all, all those elements, but I kind of liked, yeah, how, you know, it was more a straightforward kind of approach um, uh, with uh, with Volume 3. Um, and, and, and really getting to know, um, you know, with Ryan Epp a lot more, because, I mean, I, I know that was sort of the criticism, I guess, um, throughout Creation Myths um, for some fans that didn't really like um, the character of Ryan Epp. And, um, and neither did Matt Matthew to, to some extent. And, and so it wasn't really yet yeah, till, you know, volume three that sort of, he, he, he actually became a likable character and I actually, you know, liked the character a lot more. I don't know. I don't know if you, what, what are your thoughts like, you know, on, on a way, um, that the Ron Epp character was, um, treated with volume three. I liked him for his storytelling ability in terms of he's a dissenting view, but I I, myself, mm. uh, being a writer, I don't mind if you don't like a character as long as they're serving their purpose and being true to the character. So Ronip is perfect fine in my eyes. I really like him. I've always liked him from the start. And I, I, he was kind of a, you know, got a little, pushed it a little far in Volume 2, but in Volume 3, I liked him even more. It feels... It feels like he grow, grows up a lot in Volume 3. Um, one of the, th- the tellings of a good storyteller is when the character actually has a moment where they change, you know? And I felt like throughout the three volumes, Ronit was changing. In Volume 3, he was a lot more compassionate and um, a little bit more humble, trying to actually kind of make up for what he did in Volume 2. He, he recognizes to, that, yeah. Yeah, recognize he did something wrong and that he needs to try and make up for it. And I thought that was well, made him a very likable character by the end well, of volume also, three. He also has somewhat of a compassion for the Urskex now because he knows now that he is not fully from Thra. Yeah, he understands mm-hmm. that, yeah. Good point. But yeah, like I find it interesting, yeah, just, um, I guess... Yeah, looking at that sort of Rana, you know, sort of saying, you know, that we should go and help others and stuff, and Algra still fixated with, with the um, trying to find the shard of the crystal. Um, I guess I guess we've started on chapter one, and to to, to go back, um, it's you know it starts out with this podling village being attacked. If you all if you all notice in the first panel of chapter one, this this is the podling village that is below Algra's observatory. Mm-hmm. Which means that it's not the first one to be attacked, but we've also established that this is possibly the one that Kira was at. So maybe it was rebuilt at some point after the miners went away. Probably. I love this in these interior shots of the of the pods as well. This might be a little bit uh, ahead of ourselves, but I think I think it's in um, chapter one. Ragra says something along the lines of. Um, such an impatient child. Sometimes I wonder why I felt the need to create such an impetuous creature. Do you think maybe when she got, when, you know, the crystal got shattered, maybe that kind of put a division between her and Ronup too? Because she seemed so much more compassionate to him in the second book. And I just thought that line seemed really harsh of her. Yeah. It's like, I wonder sometimes why, you know, I created you. It's like, eee. <laughs> Not yeah, many people could... think that about their own children, even when they disappoint them, you know? 
she's also like she never really looks at him anymore like yeah she's always it always seems like she's got her back to him or she's always preoccupied and she's not really yeah. listening she, i mean she was just focusing so much on on heavens above and you know the, the with the orion up the well and finding and, these shards well i mean that's i guess that's interesting how it's sort of gone opposite where you know before she was you know just focus on the stars and the moons and suns and and all that and then now she's focusing you know in thrower essentially trying to find the um the pieces of the shard yeah like she knows that this crystal is is damaged i mean she herself can feel it she knows that she is yes. damaged and if this crystal does not get fixed she doesn't get fixed either no and i, I think that's the interesting thing like um you know when ryan decides to sort of leave Olgra, that even though he sort of you know feels he makes the right choice so do you think that Ronup isn't affected by the cracking of the crystal because he's not fully thrown? I, I don't think he, yeah. I, I, I didn't really I, get a I sense of it. I got that yeah. impression. Maybe that's why he's dying because the half of him that is damaged at the end of this volume is the half that is of the, of the meteor. And that's why he's slowly dying because of the thrust side is slowly dying away well it could be the uh, i mean it could be the Erskic side that maybe. might be dying because you know of the that's an interesting idea and maybe i mean imagine if like if during the events at the end of the dark crystal and if he's you know still up and about if for some reason that sort of healed his face like i don't know yeah <laughs> well i got the impression even though this is a very literal interpretation that the place he was going he just literally couldn't survive because i mean it's the f Oh, what did they call it? The, the the field of fire. Field of fire, yeah. So I mean, yeah. he looks almost like he's made out of uh, almost wood to me. So it seems to me that he wouldn't really thrive very well in that area anyway. But that's a very literal interpretation. And it could be because of other events that are making him wither as well. Yeah, exactly. Who knows why he's really fading? It might be, you know, Agra made him, but she made him without any knowledge of having, you know, done that before, you know, being a mother, mm -hmm. creating him, however she managed to do that. So whether she, you know, knew it or not, she brought him to life, but didn't necessarily give him eternal life just like her. Um, but we don't see, I think we mentioned earlier, whether he does, the, you know, nine-year restoration or not. Yeah, it's my personal feelings, just my personal feelings. I'm kind of disappointed that he didn't um, live eternally like she did. Because it just felt like since he was made from that rock that fell from the heavens and made of part of Thra, it seems kind of odd to me that he's dying. But that's that's just my personal opinion of it, you know? I was kind of, well, I was really disappointed at the end when I found out that he was the storyteller and he was dying. Now, okay, I'm not going to go on a tangent, but I was really disappointed when it was him talking to the fizz kick. <laughs> did, did anyone else feel that to me? Because I was hoping he was talking to just the universal reader at the end, but he actually looked like he was talking to the fizz kick. And... I don't think Ronup had the ability to communicate with animals because the potling was the one who told him what was going on with the creatures that he was leading to the new land. He was the one, the, the potling was the one who could communicate. So to me, I just have this image of Ronup 
talking to this fizz gig and the fizz gig getting blah 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 uh food well, blah 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 fizz gig you know well, <laughs> i'm just like oh <laughs> well kind of like when you talk to your dog you know he's yeah, getting exactly. in the eye and he's like he's just occupying his time and like talking to this dog i, I recently yeah. watched this movie riddick and he's so got sad. this dog and you know when it's just you and an animal you talk to him <laughs> yeah well, that, that made me especially sad because these are like his dying words and he's talking to his dog and it's like your story is never going to get told because it I, can't I even understand you. <laughs> I had a different take on so, that. I, I thought Ron Ip was talking as though an audience was watching him, even an audience of I, one reader. So I, I got, always think of that. I got that impression from the first book. So I remember in the first podcast I said that I was like, no, he's not talking to the Fizz Gig. But at the end of it, it looks like he's talking to the Fizz Gig. I'm hoping that that's not the case. It's just I got that impression from the the last of it. He addresses him as my furry friend and stuff, and I'm like, is he talking to the Fizz Gig or is he talking yeah, to the reader? What is talking to Thra. I, I hope I, I'm I'm liking the thought. Yeah, I'm hoping he's talking to Thra or talking to the audience, because I would I remember I read that and I was like, oh, I yeah. hope he's not talking to the fist kick. <laughs> it well, just oh, that no, hurts. <laughs> it's a writerly convention that you know if you are trying to explain something, the best thing to do is to explain it to another character because of course you know the reader's listening in, so people yeah. talking to themselves are naturally talking you know take can be slightly crazy. So it's much more natural to talk to somebody else, even a pet. Yeah. And um, who knows with Fizzgig? I mean, Fizzgig understands um, Kira in the film. So who's to say? I mean, just because he can't speak well, uh, doesn't mean that he doesn't understand. She has the gift of understanding animals just like the podling does and That's being right. able to speak to them. But, but does she understand them or does she just, is she just able to talk to them? Um, she, I'm pretty sure she can understand them too, but I could be wrong about that. I haven't. I need to rewatch the film, but um, there are several instances of Kira saying things to Fizzgig, and he reacts, so he does understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. No, Fizzgig, you stay here. <laughs> exactly. Uh, maybe they're more intelligent than the average dog. I hope so. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, I, for me, I was just finding it interesting, like, yeah, when um, Rana decides to, you know, help to get, like, see what the Galflings are doing, um, where Orga sort of, you know, stays in the Ori trying to work out this shard business and whatnot. But I guess the thing is that even though he tried, you know, seeing, you know, doing the right thing, it sort of became a bit too late when, when um, sort of the Skeksis start, you know, making a deal with, with the Galflings. Yeah, just uh, I was just trying to find that scene where um, you know, when Ranip um, tries to chat with with the clan and and they're like, you know, we got the skicks, you know, yeah, like you know when Ranip sort of returns and so it seems like yeah, time has passed since since they've seen Ranip and just sort of like, oh, how you know, how can we trust you of you you know of your words and stuff? It's also established. Well, I don't want to get too far ahead. It felt like to me that that 
might have been a fissure also. It's like the trust of everybody seems to be severed. Maybe, maybe this was where uh, Bland was going, but it's like um, even the um, Gelflings seem to be mistrustful of each other. And they're very mistrustful of Ronip and talking about how they don't need Agra and things like that. It, it seems like a lot has changed since the crystal cracked. Because I, they seemed unified in the second book. And in this book, you know, at the first chapter, um, Thal's mother is talking about um, how it doesn't seem like the council can agree on anything, even whether or not they're in danger. Yeah. Or is that the second chapter? Well, and, and they also it's know the about first. the attacks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, it just seems like it's there's a, a big fissure yeah. between everybody. We can't even agree that we're in danger, much less mm -hmm. what to do about it. Sometimes it seems all we do now is bicker and fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, earlier they were arguing, arguing about, you know, whether you know, that we should be creating weapons or not, you know. Mm -hmm. I like how she says, um, you're, you're usually not up before the second sun, which would kind of indicate that, the, that at least two of the suns rise once a day. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas I've always thought of it from the world of the dark crystal, it's described, well, it's thought that they kind of, day and night isn't really, isn't really a constant, definite time and occurrence. Because of the three sons, yeah. I uh, uh, last podcast I sent those uh, specific links from the Dark Crystal forums to Philip, um, and they'll explain the orbital mechanics, or at least as people projection of such. Oh, okay. so do, if you get day, yes. half day, night, uh, full night, etc., based on the projected orbits, they did a really good job. Well, another so, thing about these Gelfling that we that we meet in this first chapter is that. Um, they don't go out much anymore either because of the attacks. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Thal, actually, one of the lines that she says that I really like is that she's like, I need to be out seeing things and touching things. Mm -hmm. Almost as if, like, I should be dream fasting with, you know, plants and animals and things. I should be out there, part of nature. I do feel like the Gelfling have a very deep connection to nature. And her being secluded from it is kind of driving her crazy, you know? Yeah. That's what I got from that. Because it's like, they were kind of Agra's chosen people and were kind of uplifted from nature. Because they were already there. Yeah, because even Thal's mother sort of says, you know, I would, I would much prefer the woods and swamps to the council chambers especially now. So, yeah. Yeah, like it's it's well established that the world has darkened. And there's this new enemy that's well, I say new enemy, it's maybe the first enemy that is going around destroying Podling villages. Even in the uh first book, they talk about um the Urskeks uplifting the Gelfling and making them more than what they were. And it seems like to me, since the Urskeks had some sort of involvement in that, now that the Urskeks have been corrupted and divided and things of that nature, it's like that's kind of happening to the Gelfling, too. Mm -hmm. They're not the same as they were in the 
previous books, it seems like. It's like they all, they have their own little individual tribes and they all have a representative on this council and they're all bickering amongst each other about what should be done. At least that's the impression I got. I also think that Agra may have attended a lot of these meetings and they probably depended on her input a lot as well. Yeah. And, you know, they feel abandoned. You know, they're... She They're out of whack because she's not there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sort of at the end, sort of taking their own matters in their own, yeah. in their own hands, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like this. The forests of Thra aren't as peaceful as they once were. You know, there's like, mm-hmm. after the shattering of the crystal, it, it's said in the world of the Dark Crystal that all these new creatures, these new, like, m- evil kind of bad creatures start to show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, yeah, we're sort of, yeah, up to, um yeah, run up and they're sort of arriving back to to Olga's observatory or home, I, I guess. And yeah, you know, Ronib's... They, they come up right at the observatory, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then they see that Podling village down below all destroyed. And I love how it's... it's Well, he he understands the Podlings. Because he speaks in Podling, and they speak in Podling. So you can see he... It's established that he speaks their language. Yeah, because I think he spoke to them in um, in volume two as well. So I yeah. think yeah, um, mm-hmm. be able to yeah to speak to the podlings yeah fluently. I would I would imagine. Now the Skeksis language is it is okay. So the original in the original director's cut of the movie there was the Skeksis language, and it didn't go over well with the um, test audiences. So they changed it back into English. Well, they right. still kept mm-hmm. that in the novelization. So, Sweet. from from the movie itself, did they remove the Skeksis language completely? Like the Skeksis don't have their own language, or is it still a thing that they do? Um, there is a scene in the movie where uh, he commands one of the Gartham, and it sounds like it's in the, his language, but it's only for a moment. They don't have very many scenes where they actually speak in their own language. But every now and again, you think you catch maybe a glimmer of something that's in one of, in their language, like I said, like in that scene, I think. I think they just, out of convenience and so the audience could follow better, they just took it out. Yeah. But I think that's the only real reason. I didn't know if they, like, permanently removed it from the story itself or if it's, if it's still established that they do have their own language. I think it's very cool that apparently the Skeksis language was supposed to be like almost a corruption of the Urskek language. Or the Uru, I'm sorry, the Uru language. That um, they they were supposed to have individual languages and that they actually had something. They actually had an actual language. They had. It sounded like they had actually worked out an actual language that was in the movies, but it just didn't go over well. Oh, yeah. It's um so well on the DVD the, releases they have the deleted scenes of those with the original uh, language. Yeah, I, I know. Like it would be so awesome I've, if they ever did like release, you know, brought out like a work print version or the test screening version of that film. This that yeah. would be really neat yeah. because it, it, um, I have I mean, a work print. Like, um, There's a work print out there. Oh, okay. Oh, is it um, I yeah. know that yeah. Someone someone did upload a, a work print that's out there, and then somebody also 
edited the work print with the director's cut to kind of make the fan edited, a, yeah. a fuller movie. Yeah. And then um, my my work print I actually got as a as a VHS from a friend of mine and contacted um, Karen Falk at the Henson Company and she gave me copyright permission to have it transferred Sweet. to DVD. But it was only for my own personal self. And then I sent them a copy and I think I might have sent Brian Proud a copy. Oh yeah. Um, we actually, yeah. um, when we were doing the Dark Crystal um, contest, they had a few, um, a few words, at least from the podling language. And I think they might have had one or two Skeksis um, references from the movie that had translations with them. That might, information might still be on the website. Yeah, there's a lot of language stuff on the website, darkcrystal.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, up, you know, chapter two and... So Thal encounters, I mean, she doesn't know at, what, who it is at that time. She just sort of notices, you know, the, the mystic and sort of runs away. So this establishes that the mystics are kind of wandering around and exploring things. They're not just stuck in the valley. Like no. In avoidance. Yeah. I, yeah, I would think, yeah, they'd still be exploring, I guess. I mean, they're still, I guess, young. I, I guess it might have been sort of probably by the events of, of the film that that they were, you know, too really old, um, um, almost being nearly a thousand years old, probably a bit too old to really wander off too too far. I mean, though, then again, they were they they. I mean, they did actually walk from the Valley of the Mystics to to the Castle of the Crystal. So I'm checking now, to they... see that might have actually been the the wanderer. There's one uh, Uru in particular that actually does wander the lands. Well, and Matthew says in volume, yeah, Matthew mentions that in um, episode 14. He talks about how there's that Uru, um, the wanderer, and he actually wanted to mm-hmm. kind of go into the story more. Yeah, it was definitely mm-hmm. something that yeah he'd just love to just yeah just write a story just about the wanderer or just you know the mystics in in general. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, do you they all talk think about they... him in later chapters, and that's why I'm checking right now, trying to see, because you can see a little bit uh, in that ch- in chapter two of his appearance, and I'm wondering if that might have been the actual one. It's hard to tell. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, do you all think that the Erskics are of different ages? Because Skexo and, um, oh, what is his name? The, his Uru counterpart, they die naturally, but they die before yeah. the other ones. I think so, that they probably yeah. were older. No, I could be wrong with that. Uh, I do write in that they are older. It could be that, you know, the most powerful of them don't last as long. You know, those that burn brightest burn shortest. Hmm. Yeah. The Ursu, is that? Yeah, I guess it... That's a pretty good concept too yeah especially like with the earthskeks about of you know if they have an age you know that whether some were yeah older than others um yeah yeah well it, if there is a a wanderer he's not in the movie so he's died before the movie mm-hmm. yeah urza that's what it is well, no, he's the ritual guardian. So, I mean, it's interesting, yeah, with, with the podlings that we sort of get the concept that there are quite a lot of, you know, 
villages um, with the podlings. I guess sort of similar, I guess, with the Galflings, how the Galflings, they have um, seven clans, and I guess with podlings, they have, oh, I don't know, either five, or at least five um, or six villages. Um. Now, I was really confused by this one page after she gets scared by the mystic. Oh, and I love all, there's all kinds of little creatures throughout this volume, like, and they all have like a little reaction and stuff. But there's this page right after we see this mystic face where she like runs off and then all of a sudden there's these Gelfling riding these like dragon creatures and then there's Gelfling that are floating down, they're gathering fruit or something and then when we, I'm totally confused by all that. What is going on there? I, I just think it's probably just, you know, thought of... Is it just establishing that they're all kind of gathering and she's coming up upon a Gelfling village? Like she ran to the Gelflings? <laughs> she ran home? I, th- I think that's what it's trying to establish. I think it's a very neat little snippet as to what its life is like for the Gelflings now. I mean, I think she's just running through the village, and these are the places she's running through as she uh, reaches the council chamber, but I could be wrong. That's just what I got from it. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. She she ran across, she, she went by the, say, guardians on their dragon things, and then she ran through the mm-hmm. forest where they were gathering stuff, and then she came up upon the village, and now she's with everybody. <laughs> I think that was probably one of those, I, I just, just thinking about episode 14, and I know uh, Matt, <laughs> he mentioned about, um you know, leaving sort of, you know, moments or, you know, they just like leave a note for, um, for the, um trying to think, um, for Alex, the illustrator, to say, you know, do, do whatever you want in this page, you know, um, like it, you know, that just a, just a page yeah. of Othol running running from, from where she is to, to the village. Um, yeah, so, um, but you know, it's interesting. Yeah, about yeah with the Galflings, they're sort of yeah now they're really taking matters in their own hands, and and they feel like that. Yeah, they need to do something. Um, or sort of whether they do something about it or whether not to get involved because, um, you know, because they haven't attacked us yet. I love this little crystal lamp that's hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> well, and then the Skeksy comes up. Here's Skekvar. Which is a pretty awesome one. That's an awesome, like, just one page. Um, I love these little, yeah, I love yeah. the secondary armholes in the in his outfit. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 right up the top. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty neat. Actually, I didn't yeah. notice that. Yeah, no, no. He also, has a, he also has a carapace. And later on in the, in the book, mm-hmm. in the depictions, not all of them have a carapace yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does have pretty fancy um, armor and pretty fancy clothing for one of them, which might also be a symbol of his status, because I get that impression in this book that they're just now starting to really ornament themselves. They're not quite at the level they were in the movie, but, you know, this guy seems to have some importance just because of his clothes. I just, oh, just another thing that yeah. I, I just really hadn't noticed it till now that he has um, that looks like you know a shard of the the crystal on top of his head, um, with, with the armor. Oh yeah, yeah. Hmm. I like this blade on his tail. It's the first and yeah. second thing I noticed. Yeah. Oh, you saw yeah, like the tail. Yeah, that. 
like an axe kind of <laughs> well it's probably he's the ambassador of the crystal you know the castle of the crystal so that's probably just his, his crystal symbol on the top yes yeah yeah mm-hmm. and this helmet's like big antlers it's kind of yeah kinda wild yeah, it is actually yeah yeah actually like me moose they look yeah. almost like bat wings yeah like there's almost that digit there with the little claw or toe that sticks out on the bat it's like right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely intimidating. Mm-hmm. I just, I just made me thought about, you know, so the antlers, how they look like wings. It's like, you know, what if they were uh, gelfling wings, you know, <laughs> but Ugh. that would be a bit. No, I think they too, look too bad like for that. Cause the big gelfling wings tend to look like, kind of like butterfly wings almost. More an insectoid. If, I wonder if further on in his, story after volume three he's actually the one that develops the crystal bats that was wasn't that the scientist that did that though i don't think he's the same one Have as the scientist est- i don't know if they've actually established who created this the crystal bats yeah i, I'm, I could I be wrong i, I just saw i think it's just generalization the like the skeksis did it yeah. they kind of they bred hmm. them to be able to tolerate the daylight and were able yeah. to have them hold a, a crystal in their talons so that it transmitted to the crystal. There's a lot of Wi-Fi in the Dark Crystal, if y'all notice that. <laughs> like, Augur's eye. I guess that's kind of She's true. like natural well, Wi-Fi. <laughs> there's a very uh, sci-fi element to it. Even though there's a fantasy element, there's also a very high sci-fi element. Because we were discussing that before, how it's like the crystal is teleportation and the Earthskeks were this very enlightened race at the time, but they were also, you know, it's almost like they were studying the crystal and studying all of these things. And to them, the creatures of Thra are very primitive to them. It just, it, it has that kind of sci-fi feel, even though it also is fantasy. It's an interesting yeah. blend. I like it. There's an, an old article that I typed out on my website. Um, man, I wish I still had control of that domain (laughs) Um, (laughs) where it's actually early on when the film was first released there was this whole thing about fantasy versus sci-fi with you know the concept of the dark crystal and everything and um it's been a long time since i've read that article i'll i'll try to find a link and send it to you philip awesome yeah no worries yeah um but yeah so basically yeah the uh skeksis are yeah pretty much making a deal with the gelflings and um, that the Skeksis would protect them in exchange for goods and, you know, armor and all that kind of stuff. And, um... and this also kind of goes into that, you know, it it might be the Gartham. You know, mm-hmm. the Skeksis might have created these creatures to attack you all. And now they're just going to say, hey, we'll get rid of them. You know? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> and that, because, they're... I mean, yeah. I actually had a question about that. I don't think this happened, but um, it was just kind of hard to interpret. There, at the beginning of um, a later chapter, which chapter was this? Rana um, comes up on this ruined uh, Gelfling village that had been attacked by these creatures. Now, the chapter previous to that, the Emperor is talking about these beasts, even these horrible beasts might have a purpose. I got the impression, granted it probably isn't true, that 
somehow they incited these creatures into attacking this Gelfling because he was on the council. Heron um, was his name, and he served on the Gelfling council with um, Karn, which is the mother of Thal. And his village is actually destroyed in that scene. Uh, Rana, you know, comes up on it, and it had been attacked by these creatures. And just the fact that the chapter previous, the Emperor had been talking about these beasts having their own purpose, it made me almost wonder if somehow the 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 Skeksis had incited these things to attack the village so that the Gelfling would actually realize they were a threat. Because that would solidify them going to the Skeksis to get protection. Yeah. I mean, yep. I know that... Though, at the same time, the Skeksis do seem afraid of these creatures, so it makes me think that probably that's not true, but it just made me wonder. Yeah, because I know, I think later in the story, I, I know, I think they talk about how the, the miners, they sort of, when the crystal cracked, and um, basically it sort of affected them in a big way, because they were just living underground, they don't know what the outside world was like. Yeah. And, and, and for it, some reason, they, was... they got out, and yeah, like, they were sort of, close to dying um you know that had some yeah, you know, trouble breathing breathing the air and and they were acting the rain hurt them yeah random you know acting because they were frightened and because they were in pain so they were really just rampaging but i just it just seemed kind of odd that they suddenly decided to attack that gelfling village after the skeksis had said that but i might be reading too much into it I just thought that was interesting. Have Have you all seen? Um, is it Cloverfield? Is that the name of the movie? Is that it's a J.J. Abrams film? I think. I actually haven't seen, seen it. it. Yeah, oh, he he produced it. It's I think it's through um the yeah, Bad yeah. Robot Company. And it's he... um it's basically like a Godzilla type creature that's basically a baby that happens to come across the city, and that's why it's attacking the way it is. It's just mm-hmm. scared and yeah like running around not knowing what it's doing yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i'm actually somewhat looking forward to um the 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 next one um was it the 10 Cloverfield yeah that looks interesting come out in a couple of months time yeah which i i don't think i i mean from looking at the trailer and stuff it, it's not like a direct sequel it's more like it's more almost like a spirit spiritual sequel you know sort of takes place in the world but mm, john goodman creeps me yeah. out in those trailers but, yeah You've already taken too long, Delfling. Hurry! At last, the crystal calls. It is time. Time to return to the castle. The crystal calls! To the crystal If you'd like to contact the show, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. To find us on Facebook, you can do so at facebook.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. We're also on Instagram at instagram.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. You can tweet at us at darkcrystalpod. The podcast is now on Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast, you can check out some of the rewards that we'll have on offer for anyone that can pledge to the podcast. It'll be greatly appreciated. Also, if you get a chance to review the show, whether on iTunes or Facebook, that'd be fantastic as well, as that'll boost the rankings. 
Thank you all so much and come back next month for more The Gathering Songs.